For me, fashion is a verb. So it's to fashion. My name's Claire Press, and I'm Vogue Australia's sustainability editor. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis. I just think it's curiosity at the core of it. Like, I just really want to know the answer to things. You talk about revolution in 68. No, we make the revolution before. Can we just go back to making really beautiful clothes with a soul and minimize the waste and think a little before we, we make things and bring back the value? Provided you wake up every morning and you're aware of the fact that your wardrobe is in the fashion supply chain, then you're a fashion decision maker. Join me every week as we talk ethics, sustainability and the business and madness of fashion. From who made your clothes to how they impact on the environment to the politics of personal style. Hello everybody and welcome to another week of Series 3 on the Wardrobe Crisis podcast. I've got a question for you. Why aren't more high fashion insiders interested in sustainability and really pushing it forwards? Of course, there are some. I mean, Stella McCartney, you can't forget our icon. There's Vivian Westwood, long active in this space. There's Amy Powney from last week's show and the fabulous Roland Murray. And if you haven't listened to his interview from series two, please do. We'll share a link. But who else is marrying serious thought about sustainable and ethical production with high-end Paris runway fashion? What about couture? Since that's top of the pile when it comes to materials and price, and it's made to measure, you might think it's above these considerations. Not so, says our guest today. He is the Dutch couturier Ronald van der Kemp. I went to see him in his Amsterdam atelier as he was preparing for his Paris couture show, which happened in January with Celine Dion in the audience. And uh, we'll share some pictures of the incredible pieces that he showed. The Vogue review concluded that Ronald sees, and I quote, the industry's excess as an opportunity to express his creativity. He's all about using what already exists. So He fashions what he calls his wardrobes, and Ronald doesn't do seasons, from incredible vintage fabrics and finds that he scours the world for. Some of them get donated, some bought from archives and high-end resellers, some are leftover fabrics from his own previous collections, and Ronald is not frightened of that, which I love, just showing the same fabrics again and again. Why not? I mean, they're beautiful. Why would you throw them away? This time... In one look, he used some pleated gauze that had been donated to him, left over from lampshade production. So as long as it's beautiful, anything goes. ID once had this to say about Ronald. Van der Kemp works from his gut, buying dead stock fabric and vintage pieces and collaging them into garments that feel completely inevitable. Now, I love that idea of inevitable, don't you? I read it as meaning this is the way in which fashion is destined to move. So who is Ronald? Over a long and varied career, a chunk of which was spent in New York, he's worked at Barney's, Bill Blass, Guy La Roche and Celine. So big name establishments where he cut his teeth and where he led the design. In 2015, he moved back to Amsterdam and he launched his RVDK brand. Fans include Gaga, Kate Moss, Lena Dunham and Emma Watson, Katy Perry once wore his jeans patchworked with vintage American flags, and Ronald also did a capsule collection for Net-A-Porter, which he calls Demi Couture, and again, which uses found and reclaimed fabrics. 
Celebrity endorsements aside, I mean, it's good to read out those names in it, but that's not what makes Ronald Vanderkamp tick. Gentle, curious, courageous and generous, he is driven by purpose. As you can probably hear, I really loved talking to him. And this is something he told me. He said, you need to save up for clothes. Clothes should be something that you keep, not something you buy to throw away. We need to change our mentality. That's my mission in this world. Love it. Before we begin, I'd just like to shout out to a few more of this podcast's citizen producers who've made this series possible. Major gratitude to all of you, my friends. This week, thanks to Timo Rissinen, Erin Lewis-Fitzgerald, Katie Shaw, Sarah Lister, Kat Carew, aka The Closet Minimalist, and Penelope Gibbs, who has a beautiful Melbourne-based label called Hokum. Okay, now let's hang out with Ronald. Hello, Ronald. Thank you very much for having me in your studio. Hello, Claire. I'm really happy that you came all the way. Also, you're in the middle of doing something phenomenal because you're planning couture and I'm sitting surrounded by your sketches and I've seen some of your pieces. This is a moment. I'm sure you haven't got time to talk to me. (laughs) Well, I do actually. Plenty of time because this is one of the most important issues that I'm uh, working with in my um, mission to make the fashion world and especially the luxury fashion world a better place. So um, what we're working on now is the next Couture collection. And um, for me, it's very important to be there alongside all the big names and to show them how it should be done, you know, Uh, working with um, existing materials that we find from everywhere, working with leftovers that other brands don't find good enough. But for me, it's really about making great, beautiful, exciting clothes. And um, then the backstory is how they're made and with what they're made. Okay, we're going to get onto that um, shortly and talk in detail about your materials and your vision. But I just want to begin by saying this podcast is called Wardrobe Crisis. It was inspired by my book of the same name and two things. So one was a personal wardrobe crisis when I just had way too many clothes. Mm -hmm. But the other is this idea of a collective wardrobe crisis. So our obsession with unsustainable fashion. But you look at the word wardrobe in a rather different way. Yeah. I love it. Can you tell us what your vision for and concept of the wardrobe is? For me, wardrobe is what women should build up over the years. You know, you, you know yourself, you develop yourself, you get a certain style. And in a wardrobe, you have many different pieces. You know, you have, you have casual pieces, you have evening pieces, you have going to work pieces, you have at home pieces, you have sexy pieces, you know, there's everything in there. So I think that concept is great because if you build a wardrobe, you build something around your own personality. And it's these are pieces that you care for and that you, you know, they become part of you and they become part of your life. And I think you can combine them in in many different ways. So this was my concept to, to build a collection because I was really sort of like, bored with the whole idea you know i've been working in the fashion industry at the luxury level for like 25 years i've worked with with big names and um i know how it works you you think of a theme you look for your fabrics you dye them in a couple of colors because you're not sure yet which color you're going to use you know you collect a lot of things you you order a lot of things and then you start working around a theme you know you brief the team um, that works with you you know about you know what the inspiration is so it's all very efficient and they all, everybody can go to work and then, you know, every time you can go on and, and, and build your collection. Yeah, but you're talking about seasons and essentially you have killed the concept of the season by using this idea of um, a well, wardrobe that's, that's another thing. I think And it's sequential. Me, I mean, yeah. wardrobe one to what are we on now? Yeah. 
for me, the, the thing is, I want to make clothes that don't go out of style. They have to be sort of like timeless. I mean, of course, there's things in your wardrobe that you won't wear for a year maybe, but then next year you think, oh my God, I have this thing in the back and it's so great. And then you combine it in a different way and it becomes your new favorite. So this is my, you know, my way of thinking. And it actually works because in the beginning people said, well, it's never going to work, but it actually does work even with the press. It's like we get requests from things from like two, three, four seasons ago that people you know, all of a sudden want to photograph or that stars want to wear on a red carpet. It's not like last season's over, mm. you know, mm. which I think is great because it isn't over. It, mm. it just, it's just as good as this season, you know, maybe, uh, why would it be bad? This is the concept that I don't get. And this is the concept that I want to change in people's mind, because I think if you build a style for yourself, if you have a developed personality and developed vision of what you want to look like or how you feel comfortable, whatever, I think you have a wardrobe that maintains. But you're actually being political and saying that you're resisting the idea of that kind of in one season, out another concept that rules most of mainstream fashion. Well, Although so not it's couture, not, It's not even uh, one season in, one season out. It's one week or one day right now, you know. And this is the real problem, like uh, the value of clothes and, and the whole perception of what, what a garment is, what clothing is, has changed so much. And people don't see it as something you invest in and that you care for and that you, you have for maybe a lifetime or maybe, you know, it's all like for that one moment and then it's on to the next. Mm. And I love the language that you use around this. And on your website, you talk about... RVDK shuns the fashion system's wasteful ways. Practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, you know, when I used to build collections, it's like, you know, you order a lot of fabrics, you're not sure yet what color. So a lot of fabrics in the end are not being used. Some things fall out because they get edited out. The way I work is like I go around, I have many different addresses where I find my fabrics and these are people that buy up old stock, these are people that buy vintage fabrics, then there's uh, interior stores I go to, it's all over the world, wherever I go, I always look and I find and collect without thinking, you know? So I come back and I have an office, as you can see here, it's a big mess, but it's full of like different fabrics and I just start working piece by piece without really thinking you know, what the outcome is going to come. I'm just making a piece like I build a wardrobe. I make a beautiful evening dress and then the next uh, thing might be a pair of jeans and then it might be a shirt and then it might be a, a tailored jacket. So they're all different pieces. It's but very creatively free when you describe it that way. That's how it sounds. But what about the limitations of designing with existing fabrics? It can be challenging, but... Um, this is why, you know, I'm, I've always worked in, in luxury fashion, high fashion. So I think in that place, there is a place for this kind of thing. Because the other thing I started noticing in the past, you know, 10 years is that high fashion is no longer exclusive. Because, you know, all the main brands are in all the main cities, on the main in streets. Airports. And, <laughs> in airports. In airports. <laughs> yeah. And you have the same jacket everywhere, you know. So it's like, okay, they're all beautifully made in these high tech factories where they have you know, all the latest technology. But what I'm seeing with this jacket is I look at them and I think, yeah, it's beautiful, but I don't feel any life. I don't feel a soul. And for me, this is a really a turning point for me was when I was uh, in New York and I was going the whole day, I was looking at all everybody's collections. What you do sometimes, you know, you just want to see what everybody's doing. In the stores. In the stores. And I found myself not getting excited by anything. And I thought, what is this? So, so I met all those beautiful things, but none of them speak to you. Yeah. So I went to this 
great vintage store that I know in New York. And, you know, she, the woman has exquisite taste. And she had just got in a lot of pieces from Nan Kempner, a socialite <laughs> that I've actually worked with in the past when I was working for Barney's. And these pieces, you know, I look at them and it's like my heart started beating. And I thought, this is it. This, these are the clothes that you want. And these were pieces from like 30, 40 years ago. But they were more beautiful than anything I'd seen all day. So I thought, this is the kind of thing I want to make. These clothes with a soul. Wow. And um, this was my starting point, really. Okay, um, for listeners who are not aware of Nan Kempner, who is like the original social x-ray and a couture clothes horse and stick thin and fabulous, could you tell us, just sum her up, who, who was she? What was her style? Well, you know, she was like one of the biggest Saint Laurent customers, couture customers. And um, I can tell you one story. When I had, I did an event with her once in... Um, I can't outside. believe you knew her. Yeah, Because <laughs> I'm quite obsessed with her. Like all yeah, those stories, great. all those John Fairchild stories, the Nicholas Coleridge stories in, um, what's that book called? Yeah, the... the well, the, Chic Savages is yeah. the Fairchild book. And um, it's just fascinating stories about them in the 80s carrying on like you don't know what. Yeah, well, I didn't, story? I didn't know what's her then, but I, I, met, I met her, um, you know, while we're doing an event for um, like some women's club a luncheon and we had like a mini show and I was working with Barney's New York then I did our in-house collections and then was sort of like presenting the whole thing but two weeks before she had had an accident she tripped uh, her heel in the hem of a dress so she had broken her foot <laughs> a fashion accident but um, there she comes in a Saint Laurent pantsuit with one high heel one leg in you know in a cast on crutches Extremely elegant, great posture, and like quite great old humor. Then, right? Yeah, she was like, like uh, in her seventies, and full of energy, full of enthusiasm, passion for fashion. And you know, it's these kind of people that have influenced my, you know, my my taste and my what I do. You know, I'm pretty sure that it was Nan Kempner who went into a restaurant in Paris wearing a Saint Laurent trouser suit, and then was told at the door, "I'm mm. sorry, madam, yeah. no trousers allowed." And then mm. off she went. And she, do you know what she did? Took them off. She stormed off into the loose, whipped off the trousers, <laughs> came back and said, not wearing any trousers yeah. now. Yeah, she had that voice, yeah. <laughs> because she was like a heavy smoker and you can just tell like she really, which is very sexy. But she was the epitome of a Saint Laurent woman. And it's those kind of women that I aspire to, you know, like nowadays, where are they? You know, it's very hard to find these people. Well, that you've cast them because you cast Anna Cleveland, daughter of Well, Pat. this is the thing. Like when we do our shows, I want to show the world that all women are beautiful and all women are different. So I don't want to have a uniform look for a show. I want every single girl to have their own personality and to also have their own walk, preferably. Not all girls mm. feel comfortable, but I'll tell them, now look at yourself. How do you feel? How do you come in a room? What do you do? Who are you? You know, sometimes I tell them a story. I say, now you're, you know, you're this rich lady and she's on her, you know, she has a party at home. She's entertaining the guests. She's walking around the room, you know, like the pretend. But if you think back to those sort of iconic couturiers past, like Saint Laurent, for example, and those models like Pat Cleveland, they would dance down the runway. They yeah. would, I mean, it was energy, 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 right? But it was also personality. It was really about personality and about being your own person. And what I see now, for example, on Instagram, you see all these women, all these girls covering themselves up, hiding themselves behind filters, you know, Instagram filters. But then it gets even worse because then you have all these highly successful beauty brands who tell them, you know, if you use this and this and this, you can change the shape of your face 
and you become who you want to be, like your Instagram filter. And I feel like, what are you doing? You're wiping away yourself. I said, you know, express yourself, make yourself, you know, show who you are and, and underline that rather than trying to cover it up. So this whole 70s, 80s, Saint Laurent muses, those women, to me, they speak to me because they, they're not necessarily, Nan Kaplan wasn't necessarily a beautiful woman, you know, she had a weird nose, she had a, you know, she was kind of weird looking. But well, think about um, Diana Vreeland, my all-time yeah, favorite. Exactly, or or Paloma Picasso, another one. Well, she was extremely beautiful. Well, but, but not but in strong. a classic. Yeah, not strong. in a, you know, like they, still they can is. Be sorry, Paloma, still is. Yeah, I know, but you know, so it's. But so bringing that back to the clothes, kind of because I think it's so fascinating that you look at then how you want to make clothes with this integrity, with this individuality, mm. but then also tying that back to ethical and sustainable. It's very interesting because you can make that connection. Well, I think um, that is actually, it's sort of like a given because, I mean, I work with, with really interesting fabrics, like really beautiful things that I find. And sometimes they're from the 70s, like I found these old Dior fabrics from the 70s. You just showed lately. me. Yeah, so oh um, it's a very interesting mix. So in that way, there's also an eccentricity in, in the choice of fabrics. And then I start building these wardrobes and... You know, it, it sort of comes very sort of intuitively. And in the end, we just have a bunch of clothes. And then, you know, when the show comes, I just think of looks. And then we cast these women and then it all comes to life, you know. Like, for me, it's also a surprise. So it's also the creative process is very interesting because I don't know what I'm going to have in the end. You know, I have my inspirations and I have my, you know, my thoughts and I have pictures on the wall and I have fabrics and everything. But... I don't have the security like you do when you build a collection in, in a traditional way. Well, you're way. not saying my theme is modern feminism. Right. My color palette is peach. My yeah. silhouette is a right. bell-shaped skirt. Yeah. But then when you do that, are you opening yourself up to criticism of being too eclectic or directionless? or? Yeah, I get that sometimes. But, but people, in the, in the end, I think people sit there with a smile because yeah. when you go to a show... You have the one girl come out and then you think, okay, this is, you know, it's going to be, you know, very statuesque. And then the next girl comes and she looks like a slob. And then the next girl comes, <laughs> she looks like a robot. Or and then, then, then there's like, a, you know, they're all different and they're all different types. So people actually find it really entertaining yeah. because they keep looking at it because they, you know, every time there's a surprise. So in this way, I think it's it's a very nice way of doing a show. Mm -hmm. Of course, I've heard like, you know, people mention like, you know, there's not really a theme and it's a little bit all over the place, but they all forgive me because it's why? Fabulous. Why? It's not, is there a rule that you have to be, uh, you know, that you have to follow a theme? For me, there's no rules. I have my own rules. And sometimes it's even hard for myself because I find myself getting, you know, I've worked for 25 years, so I know how it works and what you have to do and what is expected. But you are, but you every are time, that. Yeah, and sometimes it's real resistance. And sometimes, you know, if I follow my gut, then it just happens naturally. And most of the time, that's that's the best way of working. Because if you think like too much, then it, you know, it goes the wrong way, I find. Let's just talk briefly about Couture, because you show at Paris Couture Week. That obviously gives you some freedom and some constraints, because yeah. it is a system. Talk to me about why you believe in presenting your brand in a couture context for me i'll tell you in the beginning my biggest thing was i want to show clothes that people find really exciting and you know i want to have a new concept of, of fashion and without talking about sustainability or everything that's behind it i wanted to be accepted by federation de la haute couture and i wanted to be accepted by vogue paris 
USA Vogue, uh, Tim Blanks, uh, you know, all the big names in fashion. I wanted them to see that I make great clothes and uh, high quality and couture. Now, if I'd done it the other way and say, like, I'm going to make sustainable couture and I'm going to do it this and that way, I think I wouldn't have gotten where I am now because you're put in a certain corner and people don't think of you as being glamorous and sexy and you know, over the top, extravagant, because this is what I do. I make very, you know, bold statement pieces. And it's not about uh, me using um, sustainable yarns or something. It's about working with what we have in this world and mm. make something really beautiful. Mm. Or even changing people's perception. For example, last season I had opened a show with a rubber dress, which everybody thought like that it was like a lamb leather, but it was like rubber f uh, used for um, outside uh, chairs, you know, um, garden furniture and I made a beautiful dress out of it and it's nice to make people think it's sort of like a very you know interesting way of of working and um, changing people's perception of what what is beautiful and what is not beautiful you use the words glamorous and exciting on your website when you're talking about your vision for how you want to present sustainable or ethical couture yeah. do you think that that perception that sustainable fashion is somehow less when it comes to aesthetics persists yeah, definitely. This is the thing. The word sustainable has been overused a little bit, I think. And it sort of has this connotation of, I'm not saying it's it's not nice or it's not good or it's not, but it, it's a certain kind of yeah. certain kind of woman and a certain kind of fashion. And you don't expect full glamour with that. And I think this for me is very important to show that, that that's possible, you know, and why not? And I think it's even more interesting. And it's also, it goes back to, an old mentality where people, like I said, they, they would buy couture, but it's not like for one season they would save it and they, you know, they had a whole wardrobe based on beautiful pieces. Okay, but couture being bespoke, being made to order, being rare mm -hmm. and very carefully crafted as mm -hmm. just basically that's the definition of it. It's hardly unsustainable in a traditional sense of like clothes you buy to chuck away, hey? True. But I think what you see now in couture, for example, the way it's done and the way I think the old fashioned way of doing couture is a sustainable way. And this is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm doing, really. But the new way of doing couture, I think there is a lot of ways. There's a lot of the research and everything they do. Like when I buy a fabric, I use it. I use everything that I use. It's not like I chuck away half of the stuff that I use. I do a very intimate show. I don't build a decor that costs yeah. like $1 million. I don't fly people in from all over the world to do certain things. You know, I do my thing in a very intimate surrounding, going back to the old days, showing it to people that there's not thousands of people sitting there, people that really matter, that know about fashion, that understand, that know my story. Because I build it this way that in the beginning I only did presentations where I would sit with editors and, you know, have two or three models and show the clothes and then tell them in the meantime, this is how I work. So after a few seasons, we decided to show by invitation of the, the Fédération and people then knew how we worked. So I think mm. the build-up was very important that to keep it very intimate and exclusive. It's so interesting because when you mention sets... I always think of couture as this, as it is, the high art and the craft, and there is an intimacy to it because the customer, who can never be me, <laughs> mm -hmm. comes and has the dress made for them. But what you mentioned about the sets and the marketing aspect, I guess, the big, extravagant, crazy world of it, 
actually couture is to sell perfume, isn't it? Let's face it. Yes, yeah. it's, it's to show you how grand we can be. Yeah. You said this quote in a well, story. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that because yeah. my goal is building a brand. And in the end, you know, doing a beautiful, sustainable perfume. Why not? I mean, this is the thing. I like this quote, though, that you gave to Tim Blanks for a business of fashion story. You said, people are looking for an opportunity and fashion is letting them down. When you've seen one girl at a fashion show, you might as well leave. You've seen it all. That's why they do these big sets, all this other stuff to distract from the clothes. It's who screams the hardest. And then he said, that's how Trump got elected. Yeah. Love. I mean, you're making a connection with this idea of it's spectacle. And is it a distraction? I mean, Trump was spectacle and distraction, wasn't he? Yeah, but the whole world is spectacle and distraction right now. I mean, this is what you see. I mean, you also see the other side coming up, thank God. So that's why, you know, I have some fans. But um, I think it became less and less about the clothes. Also because, you know, as a designer, if you have to design so many clothes, you cannot put full concentration on each item that you're doing. So to cover up for that, you know, all these stylists come in and then they, there's this big sauce over it and they build a beautiful decor. Mm. So people sit there and, they, and they're like dazzled. Yeah, and it's great for Instagram because you have great pictures and all thing. But the actual clothes, people forget to really look at them. You, If you really, really look at the clothes piece by piece, then I think you see a very different thing than just looking at a show that is sort of like... A whiz of you know like all visual and 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 you know there's no i mean everything is like over the top so well you come back to what you were saying before about where is the soul or the heart of right. the, the yeah. clothes themselves yeah and um one thing i want to say about the couture that i do in the end we're doing demi couture so we're trying to do this for women that that buy high fashion but that's not necessarily couture. I mean, we have some couture clients. Well, uh, how much is it? I mean, for example, a couture gown could cost 250 grand if you wish to be embellished to the hilt. In fact, there, I always remember reading there is no ceiling, actually. Yeah. So when well, we try and for us, this, that's yeah. not the case. Right. We, don't, we don't go there because I think that's kind of ridiculous. I also want it to be somewhat... I know it's not for everyone, but I think there's a lot of luxury customers that buy all the big brands, maybe not couture, that can come to me and for the same price they buy something exclusively made for them or very limited edition like we do with certain retailers so they have something that's exclusive and even if it's not a one-off you know how many pieces there are in the world because i hand sign every single garment and it says like what edition it is so sometimes it's 10 sometimes it's 20 sometimes it's three sometimes depends it's on your fabric probably depends on the fabric and it depends on the style so um, what's yeah. a frock gonna cost me ronald um, it really depends. I mean, if you buy um, a dress at a wholesaler from us, it's probably around 2500 to 4000 depends. So it's a really normal price for this level expensive ready-to-wear. Yeah, yeah, and we're doing yeah. something extra because we really use couture techniques and there's a lot of handwork. It's not factory work. Yeah. But if you want a very you know a unique item that's only for you, of course, then the price is exclusive and, the, and you're the only one in the world. Like we do with certain couture customers, thank God, that they've also come to us now. You know, then it's a different price. Okay, I want to talk about how you make these pieces because you make them, we're sitting here in Amsterdam, you yeah. make them here. Yes, we make, yeah, well, uh, 95% is made in Holland. Very rarely we do certain things, like for example, um, I'm doing something with a double face fabric now and that I make in Italy because I don't know anyone here who can make that for me. But generally speaking, we try to make everything in Holland and there's great artisans here that 
they also love working with me because they do things now they've never done in their life and they feel challenged and they feel they can really use all their skills. I give them a lot of freedom as well. So we work with a lot of freelancers and, and all different people that have different capacities and different techniques. Uh, one of them is very good with, with floaty chiffons. The other one is a, a man's tailor. One is good with leather. Somebody works for the theater and she's really good with like crazy, you know, sculptural stuff. So they're all different. And I think it's really great to work with those people and also use their talent and give them pleasure, the pleasure of fashion, because this is what, what it's all about. We're all really passionate about what we do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it because we work day and night for nothing. <laughs> and I think this sort of like positive energy comes across in the shows and in the clothes because you can Same. feel it. Yeah, I agree. Well, you've also worked with new migrants and refugee community members. Yes, we tried... Um, uh, two seasons ago, I approached a few of those organizations and it was it's kind of difficult because, you know, some of them are sort of like in limbo and, and it depends on their um, status and everything. But um, we ended up working with a group of women that uh, came from um, Afghanistan and they were... Um, they're used to doing embroideries like at home from, for life. They do that, you know. They sit at home and they do all these things for their husbands often. So um, I approached him and I said, you know, maybe we can do something together. How and, fantastic. Uh, so we just did a, a project to try out. And actually, um, it turned out great. And um, we used it in the show and everything. So they were really proud and happy that, you know, they contributed. But um, the, the other side is to that, like, I wanted to continue and make it into a bigger program. And... And that sort of like really didn't work out because of it's it's very difficult to you know you need people to organize those people. Well, you it's know. its own business, its own project. Isn't yeah, it? and it's like I cannot do everything. Yeah. So um, you know I would love to do more of these kind of things, but it's really hard. You have to have people on the other side working with them, and because they're all in a different country and a different culture, they come from some terrible stories, you know. And so it is a challenge. You know, we've also had interns here working, um, you know, a, a girl who really wanted to work in fashion. And, you know, we gave her a chance to, to work here for six months and um, see how things go. And, you know, if the opportunity arises, we're very open to do all these kind of things. And, yeah, it's great because you, you get a whole new input as well because they have such a different view on things. So for me, it was very interesting to hear what they say, where they come from. And Talking of where that comes from. Where does it come from in you? Because it's very clear to me that you have a great sense of the soul of fashion and also a personal integrity and you're trying to do things that matter and resonate in a meaningful way. Let's rewind. Where did you grow up and what kind of kid were you? It's kind of weird. I think about that myself because I'm not an activist person. I would never go, you know, demonstrate and the whole thing. I'm not like that. I would. But I, I, I know, and I'm glad that you do because we need people like that. But it's not, this is not my nature. I'm sort of like very soft-natured. But I have such a, you know, an inner passion for, for justice and for, I don't know, it's sort of a natural thing. It's not something I think of. It's something that happens when I live my life intuitively and, you know, with my full integrity, then it just comes out. So this, this is the, who I am. I don't know where it comes from. My, my dad was always doing good. Like he was always in all these committees helping people. And, you know, I come from a very simple background in the country here in Holland. And um, when I was young, I was always very, when I was really young, I was very expressive and I wanted to sing and dance and, you know, I wanted you to be wanted famous. You wanted to be a ballet dancer. Yeah, but, you know, I could sense that that was sort of like a weird thing. So I sort of 
held back a little. And Why? I, but did you watch ballet or see it in films? What? what? I don't know. It was just a thing. I just had, I did it myself. It's like Billy Elliot, you know. <laughs> It's like you have this power, this force inside <laughs> that you that film you. That's so nice. That's one of my favorite films. Yeah, but it's really something that I, I sort of happens, and you can't control it. You know, so it's kind of weird. Like, how does that happen? How you know you see that with kids, and I find it very sort of. I see it with young kids now. You find it. I find it very touching to see that somebody just has to express themselves, and that, that was my case. And um, yeah, so I couldn't hold it any longer when I was like thirteen, and then I started really going to dance classes and. You know, I was like, okay, you know, everybody can laugh, but this is what I want to do. And I did that until I was 19, and I, I was going to become a... Oh, you a, did it? Seriously? Yeah, yeah. I came to Amsterdam to go to dance college here. But um, after, like, you know, a year, I could really see that it wasn't going to be, like, a big career for me. Because, you know, my body was not 100% perfect for what you do. And I feel if you do that, you have to have all things going for you. And in the meantime, but I'd always, I was always making clothes. I was knitting. I did all these things that boys don't do, but I just had to do them. So, you know, it all came out. And then I had a friend who was going to a fashion college. And, you know, I thought, I think that's what I need to be doing. Great. And, uh, you know, I'm so happy because it was my calling, really. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like at fashion school at that time? What did you dress like? And Well, it was very sort of like it was a period when all the Japanese designers were really hot, like you had Comme des Garçons and uh, Yoshi Yamamoto. So I was always, that was the thing. It was easy to make clothes, sort of. You know, you would just like put things on and like drape something around you and then it became like a pant and all that kind of stuff. So we would, that's the kind of thing was I was doing. Was it black or black? Yeah, that kind of feeling. And, w- and was Amsterdam then kind of no, edgy? Yeah, there's always been an edge here. I mean, uh, you know, it's a, it's a small country, but there's always a lot of things happening. But fashion wasn't a really big thing. But I went to school with um, fashion school with um, Inez and Vinut, for example, and some more people that, you know, the fashion community don't know, but like artists and photographers. So we had a really interesting community of people that inspired one another with all the different everybody had a different edge and you and Inez and Vinod obviously loved Helmut Newton aesthetically at that time that was really the thing like I think for me that was such a big we looked up to that and it's the same you know Inez and Vinod is clearly that you know we're all that was our time that's the thing when we grew up and that was the thing like oh my god it was like god for us you know but at the same time very funny and I didn't even realize that I did that when I graduated college I did a collection and I'd used vintage things I'd used um, vintage dresses and I'd written a thesis about um, fashion nature really yeah but again not in a very activist way but really in a in a way like how can these things go on I already started questioning even it then. and even then already and I thought. So this, I was going to ask you, when did your feeling for yeah. waste come to you? Yeah. So I used, like, you know, I, I found all these things and I used them in in my graduation. And um, it's really funny to look back to it because when I started, you know, my brand RVDK, which is four years ago, I had been thinking about it a lot. And every time I would stop myself thinking, like, this is not going to work. It's not going to be possible. I know how the fashion world works. It's not doesn't fit in. And then I got a coach, and I said to him, you know, when I graduated, I did this. Like a this. business coach like a mentor. mental coach or a mentor yeah, yeah you know like somebody to and I said I want to go back to the time when I graduated when I just did things very intuitively you know I was talking about my thesis then about my graduation collection and this is what I want to do now with everything that I know 
And I said, but I keep stopping myself. And he, you know, he told me it's a very simple trick. He said, okay, set your goals just one week at a time and don't think any further. So I did that. And I started making clothes. And before I knew it, I had this whole wardrobe. And then, you know, I went to Paris. And here we are four years later, you know. Before we come back to the present, perhaps we could zip through your very accomplished and varied career in mainstream, if you like, fashion. You interned at Courage, didn't love it in Paris, right? Yeah. And then I went, uh, I graduated in Amsterdam at art college. And then I, afterwards I went to New York. And, so you worked for Bill Blass. And then I worked for Bill Blass for like uh, four and a half years, really, uh, which was a great experience. Two lines on Bill Blass, if people aren't aware. I think um, he's the one who um, did the perfect mix between American sportswear and couture. Like he would pair like a ball gown with like a cashmere twin set. So everything was always very easy pockets in the in the ball gown and um you know a twin set on top and very chic but you know understated chic and a very chic man with with very good taste very good taste of fabrics and you know dressing all those women that i didn't encamp as of this world when but did you work for him that was 92-94 and then um afterwards i i went to barney's and i worked with the pressman family who was still um you know the founders and the owners and you know, they asked me to do the, the in-house collections. And what was so great about that, that they had exquisite taste and very quirky taste as well, but at a very high luxury level. And they were always the first to bring new designers to America. So I had a very open mind. So they, they let me very free in, you know, developing a Barney's brand, which was, was really great to work with the best factories, the most beautiful fabrics. And it was a really great training for me as well because you know i got to see customers as well like the reality of clothes and everything so yeah you took over from albert albaz at gila roche yeah that was a not such a great story but um after yeah after four years at barney's i was um, approached by a headhunter and they um you know albert was going to ysl so they wanted somebody new there so um i was super excited i thought this is my chance and you know i'm gonna do this and but um you know, it, it was a weird time because I think Gila Roche, you know, the people that were working there were very sort of like discouraged by the fact that Albert was leaving. Company was not in such a good financial state and I arrived and, you know, the CEO was actually on his way out, which I didn't know. But so after six months, I was sort of like left with a new CEO who didn't really want me there because he had complete other plans. So I did one show and I never really got the chance to really do what I wanted to do. So it was kind of difficult because I was put in the spotlight. You know, here's the new uh, Albert Abbas, here's the new Tom Ford, and then after six months you're gone. So everybody's like, what but happened there? But that fashion is like that. It's yeah. brutal. It's yeah. a churning machine that just churns through. Yeah, so I really experienced that firsthand. And it was, it was tough because then you, you know, you need to reinvent yourself and you need to, because people think something, you did something wrong or something. Well, I didn't do anything wrong, but anyway, I, I won my lawsuit and I... Um, I decided to do my own thing at that point, but I didn't really do it full-heartedly. I just did it because I felt I have to do something now, but I didn't really believe in it myself. So I did that and then I started consulting and, you know, I've been consulting actually ever since until four years ago when I decided it was enough. When I first came across RVDK, yep. it was with Wardrobe 2, which was a collaboration that you did with Net-A-Porter. Yeah. And there were these fantastic pants that were made of a reclaimed American flag. Yeah. But those pants went off the charts because they were adopted by celebrities all over the shop. Talk to me about that. 
Yeah, that was a real funny thing because I'd found this really beautiful vintage flag in, in New York in a store and, you know, we do the fitting and I had an old pair of jeans and I said, oh, let's do something. So we, we just put it together and then we embroidered over it and made this into a pant. And that sort of became a real thing because I think it's been photographed for every single issue of Vogue. And then, you know, then the elections came, then the pants started having his own life because everybody wanted to wear these pants and... You know, from Katy Perry, Miley Cyrus, I mean... Kind of a patriotic thing. Yeah, but in a very cool, like, easy rider kind of way. You know, that was the thing. So um, it got so much attention. And then, you know, American Vogue, they did this whole video on the elections, go vote. So then, of course, the band came out again. And, you know, it's been... And then every year it comes out when there's like, you know, Memorial Day or, you know, people bring out those pants. Now, Can't in the, in the light of, the of flags, this... Though. Must be hard to get the flag. Well, this is what we did because, uh, you know, we did our first thing with Nata Porter and they said, oh, we really want to, you know, do these pants. And I said, well, I see what I can do. I so, can do you six pairs. <laughs> well, I went online on eBay and actually there was quite a few on sale. So we bought up basically all the flags that are online and, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's what we did. So we produced, uh, you know, I think like 50 of them or something. But, um, yeah, that was a, that was a real... Um, yeah, it was a real breakthrough. I want to finish up just by talking to you about where you see luxury and sustainability and the landscape that we're inhabiting right now. Last night you were at my book launch at Fashion for Good in Amsterdam. Yeah. It was so nice to see you there. Which was great. Thank you. <laughs> there was a Q&A afterwards and we had a bit of a chat about that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm questioning because there's a lot of focus right now on fast fashion and how bad it is for the environment. And it is terrible because, I mean... If you see documentary after documentary, I mean, I sit there crying in front of the TV, but then I think it doesn't stop there because high fashion is a big polluter as well. And, you know, the fact that some of these beautiful clothes are made or these beautiful bags that, you know, animals get killed to make a bag that then later is going to be destroyed because they didn't sell it and they want to pollute the atmosphere, but they don't want to pollute their brand. I think we have to really question ourselves and I feel, you know, all the, the brands are so powerful right now that we all know it's happening, but we all talk about fast fashion, but can we really look at what's happening in luxury fashion as well? And all these, do we need all these shows a year? The editors don't even want them. Do we need to fly all over the world to look at a 10 minute show with a whole new decor? Do people have to sit there for three days? You know, why is that? Can we just go back to the core of making really beautiful clothes with a soul and, you know, minimize the waste and think a little before we make things and do things and bring back the value of, you know, I'm, I'm a sentimental, maybe I'm too old, but um, bring back the value of old couture and high fashion like it used to be and make it exclusive again. You know, we cannot keep growing and growing and growing. We're growing into a disaster. And this is what we're doing. And not only in fast fashion, but also in high fashion. And I wish people would look at themselves and see we need to change it. And do not buy, you know, like, for example, now there's all these there's companies that can give you an approval stamp for being sustainable. And, you know, you can basically, by doing, making a small effort and paying So add a few, some money, a few good fabrics. Right. And then you get the stamp that you, you know, you're, you're trying to do good, but basically it's just like a cover up. This is the way I see it, you know. Um, because you're still allowed to perpetuate the same system and make and make yeah. more and more and more and more. Yeah. And then, you know, you do some things that are good, but it doesn't cover up for all the things that, all the bad things that you're doing, you know. 
let's just go back to making fashion exclusive and beautiful. And I'm not saying we have to stop, but let's do it. We're a little more conscious and not growing into a disaster because this is terrible. Just one thing there, though. If fashion can't be entirely exclusive, because what about the need to make sure fashion is for everyone? Well, I think fashion is for everyone, but we have to sort of set rules that it's not possible that you buy a dress for the price of a cappuccino. It's not possible. And we all know this. So I think, you know, governments should put rules. There should be minimum prices and they should be controlled. And it's not like when we have a minimum price that people say, oh, great, now we have more profit. No, clothes have to be priced realistically. And we need to stop all, all the terrible things that are happening. And I think people need to think differently when they buy clothes. You need to save up for clothes. Clothes are something that you keep. You know, they're not to throw away. So rather than buying 10 t-shirts of two euro, save up and buy one good t-shirt that lasts for, you know, 10 years, like it used to do. Mm. I mean, I wear all my clothes until they really drop dead, you know. Of course I buy new clothes, but I, I buy them with reasoning or when I find something really extremely beautiful and I know I'm going to just, just keep it just because I want to have it, you know? But don't buy it just because, you know, you know just, I don't feel good. I'm just going to buy something for the heck of it. It's just not right, you know? We need to change our mentality. And at every level, not only fast fashion, but every single level. So, yeah, that's my mission in this world. And what I would love to do is work, for example, with the big brands and say, guys, you have all these leftovers. Let me put a hand on it. Let, let me work with you. Let's do something creative together. The problem is they all don't want to go near it because then you expose their problem. And this is my frustration because I, I, you know, I think that so we can do such great things. And I'm, I'm begging for people to call me and, you know, say, let's do something great together. And it can be a very positive thing, but let's just start, you know, making a better world. But open up and show your problems and don't hide them and don't, you know, swipe them under the carpet. Fantastic. You heard it here first. <laughs> He's waiting for your call. Yeah. So but maybe after the couture show. <laughs> let's do you, that. Ronald. Thank you very much for listening to me. Oh, it's getting hot. My parents feel that I'm defending you We told them all that they are wrong Because I love you Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis. So I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you, my parents feel that this is a waste of time. I tell you where, okay, I won't admit that I am blind. My friends don't feel that I'm carrying a steel. I tell them all that they are wrong. Because I love you, because I love you. Because I love you Because I love you